Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast is dedicated today in loving memory of Vanessa's father, Lilui Nishmat Musa Moshe Kohen, Ben Shalomove Flora, Alava Shalom, sponsored by Vanessa and Joe Gad. Um, Rabotai, today is Shushan Purim, the day of Purim uh, that was experienced in Shushan because Esther asked for another day. So I kind of feel that this is an important day to speak about the aftermath of Purim. So sometimes that's messy, sometimes that's uh, very tired, sometimes that's hangover headaches, but sometimes people, <laughs> people are capable of bouncing back. I want to talk about the, the power of Shushan Purim and what a person can do in the aftermath of the holiday. So let's look in the Megillah for some direction. In the Megillah, it, tell, it says to us, what happened after the miracle of Purim? What happened on the day that it was supposed to be, that they were supposed to be saved? They went and they fought. So today, the, yesterday was the day that the Jewish people were supposed to be wiped out. It also wound up being the day that the Jewish people wound up wiping out all of their enemies, 500 in the city of Shushan, it says, and 75,000 in all of the wider cities and countries and all the Medinot, okay? And what, what's, what's so powerful is that the result of that was, La Yehudim Hayita, Ora, Vesimcha, Vesason, Vikar. The Jewish people had light and joy and ha- happiness and joy, and, uh, and Vikar is a difficult word. To translate, it means uh, some type of grandeur, okay? Now, we're all familiar with the idea where the Gemara tells us, what does it mean? Gemara says, Ora represents Torah. doesn't mean they had their electricity switched on, now they had lights. Ora means that now the Jewish people had Torah, which is representative, uh, which is represented by light. As we know from the menorah, you know, all the Torah, uh, Torah, Orah, okay? Now, the second thing is Simcha. What is Simcha? The Gemara gives a list of what each one stands for. It means the, the idea of, of Yom Tov. What is uh, Sason, Yikar? Uh, they represent the idea of Brit Milah and the ideas of Tefillin. So all these different elements that the Jewish people had, which were translated as feelings, as light, as joy, that represented the mitzvot that the Jewish people had. Asks the Svat Emet, he asks, I don't understand. If you want to tell me that the Jews had Torah, Yom Tov, uh, Tefillin, and Brit Milah, just say that they had Torah, Brit Milah. That's the Svat Emet's question. And you know what he answers? He answers something magnificent. He said, they always had those things. It took the holiday of Purim to reveal that that's what those things were for them. You have a person sitting in a Torah class, okay, like this, falling in his seat, he's like, he feels like he has to. You know why? The rabbi is going to be so uh, it hurt or slighted if I walk out now, so I got away. Oof, how long is he going to speak for? Right? Mm. So you sat through the class, but like, uh, well, I'm just about to leave, now, I can't. now you can't eat, like, by the way. You got to stay, you got to stay forever. By the way, I'm going to give the long, I'm going to filibuster now, Steve. Okay? <laughs> What's the amazing thing, right? What's the amazing thing about Purim? Suddenly they realized that in Torah was or, was light. Now, Rev. Desler writes that these four things um, that we talk about over here, they represent four levels of hakarat hatov, of a recognition and a cognition of everything uh, that, that God was giving them and everything that they had that the Jewish people had. 
They were able to recognize, oh my gosh, you know what? After all this, this whole story, she bifledge. If we just would have listened to the wisdom of the Chachamim, if we just would have listened to the wisdom of the Torah, we actually, this whole thing would have been solved. They saw that in Torah was wisdom. So some people learn Torah because they think, oh, but they don't realize that actually the greatest gift in the world that we have is the fact that God gave us the Torah and all that is in it and the way that it tells you to lead and to run your life is it's more precious than gold. And you know, when you look at someone who's very wealthy but has no happiness and you say, oh, you know what, I prefer my life to him and his millions or billions, what you're saying is, orazu Torah. I love my family values. I love the fact that I come home at night. I love the fact that I won't just go away from my family for weekend after weekend because Shabbat with the family is of critical importance. Do you understand what I'm saying? It took Purim for them to recognize, amen, that they were, that they were actually in a, in a place where, tor- where Torah was valuable to them. Simcha, Sason, Rav Desla goes through each one of them and he talks about the different types of gratitude that a person can have. So the first type of gratitude he mentions is like we said, Orazu Torah, recognizing how lucky we are that we have the Torah. Just let that sink in. The holiday that we have. The, the, wonder, the wonders and the beauty of each Yom Tov and what it does to be able to build connections, family, uh, misora, communication of the transmission of our heritage. Okay? But then we go one step further, he says, and then we have Simcha. What is Simcha representative of? He talks about a type of Hakarata Tov that a person realizes, oh my gosh, I was supposed to lose everything and look at what I have. The Jewish people, and I, I never noticed this until this year. I just read this in a Sefer and it really shocked me because again, the historical context is really everything. You see, all of us, when we talk about persecution, what's the first thing you think about when you think about persecution? Jews. They've been persecuted forever by everybody. But the Sefarim say that was not the case in the story of Purim. And I, like, it's important. I hope you understand this. Once God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, He miraculously led them through the desert. Miraculously, they conquered the whole land of Israel. They built a Beit HaMikdash. Any non-Jewish person, never mind if you were religious, Jewish person or not religious Jewish person. If you were a non-Jewish atheist or pagan believer, you came to the Beit HaMikdash and you were able to see miracles happening in front of your eyes on an ongoing basis. They were able to see the smoke of the Mizbeach rising straight up to heaven without wavering, even when, there was, when it was windy. They were able to see this, the fire come crazy every day. Every single day they were able to see it. So this is the Jewish people's existence. And then all of a sudden, they, didn't, they weren't persecuted. They were riding high. Everybody knew who they were. So much so that there's a conversation that's recorded between Achashverosh and Haman. Haman says, I want to get rid of them. Achashverosh says, what are you talking about? How can, I get, how can we get rid of them? Don't you know what happens to anyone that starts up with the Jews? By the way, Nebuchadnezzar, the world power, destroys the Beit HaMikdash. And a short time after that is obliterated. He suffers personally. He's exiled from his own kingdom, right? And not only that, not only does everything happen to him, the entire Babylonian empire crumbles and is conquered by the, by the, the, the Parasumadai, okay? So you, you we're recognizing the Jewish people were not used to persecution. So 
Achashverosh and Haman are having this conversation. What should we do? How should we deal with this? And the Midrash tells us something remarkable. Haman told Achashverosh, he says, don't worry. We could attack the Jews. Their God is old. When he was young, he did the miracles. When he was young, he led the conquest into Israel. When he was young, he protected them. But now he's old. All the Sifarim ask, I don't understand. What did the Midrash think? That a God gets old? Like what is the age, what is the age span, the lifespan of a God? Like, you know what I mean? When does he retire and get social security in Shammai? Like when does that happen? When he's 400 years old? At what age does a God get old? Never. So the Sifarim say something amazing. What does that mean? What do they say? It's not that God was getting inferim. It's not that God was getting weak. That's not what Haman was communicating. What Haman was saying is, you know, young people in many ways have a very different mindset than people who are getting older. And let me give you the example of Rav Shimshon Pincus. Rav Shimshon Pincus expresses, he says, you take a young man, he's sitting and he's learning in yeshiva. So it's true, he's learning Torah for the sake of learning Torah. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you know, if I learn up a storm, if I become a Rosh Yeshiva, maybe if I learn, I'll be a rabbi, right? So his learning is part of a plan. You have a young man who's sitting there, right, in the, at work. He's hungry. He's ambitious. He wants to build his company, right? Everything he's doing is getting to a certain place. If the person's old, he's like, Hajj, I'm f- already, I'm done already. You know, they want to cash out. They want to go sit on the beach. You understand? Young people make plans. Old people, not so much. Not because of mortality. I think in general, because of their life view, they're not as stressed. They're not as ambitious because they realize, you know, what does that get me? I have a lifetime. I've learned it already. You know, I'd rather be home. I'd rather relax. I'd rather go traveling. I'd rather do all these things. Yeah? Haman was saying to Achashverosh, God's plan when he was young, when he was talking, acting like a young man was, I'm going to choose these people. I'm going to give them the Torah. My whole world is going to change. Everyone's going to become selfless and everyone's going to help the poor and everyone's going to, because the Jewish people are going to teach him. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to give them the Torah. They're going to do it. He says, but then after moving them into the White House, Israel, after building them the Beit HaMikdash, right? They did it. They were in Washington. They had the White House and what they do with it? Once God saw they were driven into exile, Haman said to Achashverosh, Hajjah, Chalas, maybe my next world. <laughs> the next world that God builds, maybe he'll succeed in that one. He gave up. We don't have to worry about making a party using the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. We don't have to worry about, you know, getting rid of them. It's fine. And some of the Jews bought into that as well. As we said on Shabbat, the Jews went to that party saying, all right, Chalas, it's over. But here's the interesting part. What winds up happening is Sasson. The, the Jewish people experience the joy of being saved, but not just in an abstract way. You know, much of gratitude lives in your head. You know, they call it the gratitude attitude, right? It's not uh, uh, happy people, right? It's not great, um, grateful people who are happy. It's happy people who are grateful. If you're happy all the time, you choose to see all the wonderful things in life, so then you're grateful. That lives over here. But there's sometimes when a person's crossing the street, they're on their phone, someone grabs them by the hand. I mean, obviously not, not now, that's coronavirus. But, so, you know, rather him die than you. But the point is, you, you grab him by the sweater. <laughs> or you Purell first, and then you pull him off the thing, and then you Purell again after. 
All right? You save the guy, and the person is suddenly in shock because they experienced this gratitude, not just in a cerebral way, in an intellectual way, but in a physical way. Okay? Says the Gemara, that's why Sasson is represented by Brit Milah. Because it's a mitzvah where the mitzvah itself is felt in the goof. It's on the body. It's a mark on the body itself. We had yesterday, we were so lucky. We were able to have a brit milah on Purim. I don't know if you appreciate the symbolism of that. On the day of the destruction of the Jews, we're sitting there and celebrating the, uh, the readmission, the admission, if you will, of yet another Jew into the chain into the chain of, uh, of, of Yehudim. Unbelievable. That's what we experienced on Purim morning. So Rabotai, Sasson, this experiencing of Hakarata Tov in the flesh is something that a person is capable of feeling towards God. And finally, the last one, Yikar is Tefillin. Rav Desla says that when a person is trying to feel gratitude in their life, it's not just that I have nice things, it's not just that, I, that, what's it called, that Baruch Hashem, everything. It's not just that I feel it in myself, in my own experience, in my life, in my body. You wake up in the morning, you feel great. Wow, what an experience that is. And that's how they used to say, Berachot, Pokeach Ibrim. Wow, I could see. Get up out of bed, Zokef Kepufim. Look, I could stand. What an amazing feeling. They appreciated the most minute and mundane things. But finally, at the end, is Tefillin. Because there's a situation. Rav Pincus explains where a person gets to a place and a stage where they understand that everything that they are is bound up with Hashem. That's what the tefillin represents. That you're tied, you're binding yourself to God. That's the idea of putting on tefillin. You're connected to Him. Your, uh, your life, your mission, your thoughts. That's what a tefillin is over here. The place of the prefrontal cortex. It's at the back as well where the brain connects with the spine. That's where your thoughts become your actions. It's by your heart turned inwards and it's on your arm to represent your actions. We give over all of ourselves to Hashem. Says Rav Pink is something unbelievable. Are you ready for this one? He said the highest form of simcha a person could experience in their life is where their joy and their happiness in the mitzvah, in their life, in their experiences, in their work, in their family, is not tied to winning. When you win, you're happy. Got it. Players are only happy when they're playing. Got it. But what when you're not, what's when you're not winning? What happens then? What happens when a mitzvah is incredibly difficult to do? It's humiliating the mitzvah, as an example. Is there any more humiliating thing than walking up to someone taking ownership of a mistake and saying, I'm sorry? It's very humbling. And yet, that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to go and seek teshuvah. It doesn't matter, so to speak, that it's not, it doesn't matter that it's uncomfortable, that it's hard, that it's embarrassing. At that point, that person has that mitzvah, that's what they need to do. So the final stage, says Rav Shimshon Pincus, is when a person realizes that so long as they're with God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if business is up or down. This is part of what he wants for me. This is part of what's best for me. I have Hashem with me. Like David HaMelech says, You're with me. I love to give this example. You have a guy. He's a poor fella. He comes to, uh, uh, what's it called, to raise some money in the synagogue, in the knees. 
And a, a, a man comes up to him and he says, you know my name? He says, no. He says, I'm Mr. Richman, Mr. David Richman. <laughs> okay? That's his, that's his sketch name, okay? Uh, names were changed for privacy. <laughs> David Richman, okay? He's a very rich guy. He says, listen to me. He says, you stick with me, no matter what you need in life, I got it covered. I got it covered. He says, really? He says, yeah. He goes, all you need when you're with me, it's all on my tab. He says, I can't believe it. He goes, okay, where you going? He goes, I'm going to the office. They take the Uber together. He sits there in the office, you know, calling home, making some phone calls, time for lunch. The guy says, I'm going to lunch. He says, can I come with you? He says, yeah, remember, stick with me. They go to lunch, swipes the card. Had that goes to Barney's. I love Shalom. He goes to Zach's, right? Tries on a beautiful custom-made suit. The other guy, the poor guy, tries on a suit also. Fits perfectly like a glove. Rich man, David, rich man says, swipe on me. That's unbelievable. He goes to the store, he buys furniture, buys furniture. He goes, he wants to go, needs uh, food for the grocery store, goes to the grocery, swipes on the grocery store. Unbelievable. Stick with me. That's what he says. This poor man, he's been waiting and waiting and waiting to go to Eretz Israel to pray at the hotel to visit his family. Anyway, the guy says, oh, I'm not going to be in work tomorrow. He says, where are you going? The man says, I'm, I'm going to Israel. Last minute, I got a ticket with one hour's notice. He says, you got a ticket? He says, yeah. He goes, uh, is it at all possible? He goes, don't worry about it. I said, I know you've been hanging with me. I didn't only ask them for one seat. I asked them for two seats. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. He gives him a big hug. Anyway, they get to the airport. They're checking them in, and they says, sir, they're getting the airport. No, rich, he wasn't that rich, man. <laughs> he gets to the airport, and the, and the person behind the counter, the woman, she says, okay, you guys are sitting in seats 55J and 55K. I'm so sorry, she says, I know you're our most frequent flyer, but there were no seats available in business. There were no seats available in first class. Everything was sold out. We really, we even bumped two people off in order for, to give you these last seats. The rich man says, look, it's fine, I don't mind. I just need to get to Israel, very important. Last minute business trip, I had to go. Uh, I'm so glad that I got these two seats for me and, uh, and my friend. <laughs> Rabotai, here's the part, they get to the boarding. Stop in the back of the plane. They get to the boarding, Rabotai. And had that standing there with his new best friend, David Richmond. You know, it's Mr. Swiper. <laughs> okay? All of a sudden, a man walks up to him and he says, Wow, is that you? You know, Yekutiel? Uh, <laughs> he says, Yeah. He goes, I remember you from school. I can't believe it. What are you doing? He says, Nothing at the moment. I'm between jobs. You know? He says, That's so amazing. I haven't seen you all this time. He says, You know what? My wife was supposed to come with me on this flight. I'm sitting in first class, and the end she bailed last minute. Have an extra seat. Why don't you take a seat, come sit with me in first class? Guy says, no thank you. Why does he say no thank you? Swiper. This guy is offering him a first class seat, no problem, but then he's leaving his guy. The guy said to him from the beginning, you stick with me, I pay for everything. Gam ki elech beget I'm in 55J? No problem. I'm with Swiper. 
Mm. Hashem is always swiping for me, so long as I feel with Him, connected to Him. He's always, He's taking care of me the whole time. And there's a, it can be, it can come to a point where a person could willingly forego something which is greater because they know, what are you, what am I crazy? I'm going to do that, I'm going to go move to a town, a big house, but there's no shul. Well, well I'm going to leave Swiper? You kidding me? You understand? The final stage of simcha, of joy, of hakarat tov that a person can experience in this world and towards God is when even when something is not beneficial, even when something goes wrong, the person actually is ambivalent. Eh, whatever, it's fine. I'm with Swiper. I, if I need food, I got it. Isn't that amazing? May Hashem bless us on the, in the aftermath of Purim to experience a, 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 a blinding light. And I'll end with this line. The Midrash says, <laughs> the Midrash says, that the Megillat Esther was like the coming of the dawn. The coming of the dawn. Why was it like the coming of the dawn? Because after the story of Esther, there's no more prophecy. It's the last book. Last thing with this prophecy. That's what it says. Chalas, no more. Did you not know that? That's the Megillah. That's why she's called Ayelet Hashahar. Okay? Now listen to this. Rav Yonah said, I don't understand. If that's the end of prophecy, it should not be compared to the dawn. It should be compared to the, not to the dusk. That's the setting of the light. And he says something unbelievable. Ready for this? He says there's a guy walking in the dark and it's pitch black and he has no way he's going and there's no lights. He reaches in his pockets and what does he have? A, ba- a book of, of, of matches. He lights one match, looks to see where he's going. He sees, he walks 30 feet based on memory. Takes another match, whoosh, lights it, another 30 feet, whoosh, another light, 30 feet. And he's using these matches, one after the next. Slowly he realizes she bifledges only one match left. <sighs> he walks another 30, 40 feet, as far as he can remember, lights looks, tries to commit it to memory, and goes running. He's terrified, but all of a sudden, the light breaks right over the top of the apartment buildings in the city. Dawn, you don't need no more matches. The timing of Megillat Esther was the end of open miracles. Those miracles in a dark world allowed Am Yisrael to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem said, from this point on, it's not going to be a situation of darkness with flashes of light, but rather we're going to transition to a world, Hashem says, where my experience, you experiencing me in your life, is going to happen in the most natural of ways. The entire story of Purim, there's not one miracle per se, but you see Hashem's hand the entire way through. That hakarat means if I have Hashem, I can see Him with me, lo irara, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of losing in business. I'm not afraid of losing in love. I'm not afraid of, uh, of having problems raising the children. I know. I'm with. I'm doing the right thing, the right way. It will turn out all right. May Hashem bless us always to see His hand in our lives. Baruch Amen. Amen.